Welcome back into the Royals Farm Report. My name is Joel Penfield, joined as always by Alex Duvall and Josh Kaiser. I'm going to, I'll tee you guys up here because I, I failed to do so as a host the last two episodes. What did y'all think of the halftime show for the Super Bowl? I thought it was amazing. Legendary. It was awesome. Yeah. Like what, it was. Did you guys, did you guys get goosebumps at any point? Uh, when yeah, forgot I, when forgot about Dre started. That, that's yeah. what I was gonna say. I don't. I could not believe how many mother effers forgot about Dre. <laughs> <laughs> they shouldn't need reminding. They shouldn't. It's Should amazing we? to me that in 2022, mother effers still need reminding about Dre. <laughs> <laughs> I I got goosebumps when Kendrick came out. I loved his spot, and then uh, then there at the end when they were all up there on the on the roof, which the whole stage was rad. It was I loved so that cool. Setup. It was so loved cool. It. Now, did did 50 cent hanging upside down not just make you really feel alive? <laughs> yes. That because well, I was like I was like, wait, is that fitty? No way. Let's go. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, do you good. think do you think if you if you gave him a million dollars, he could have physically done a sit up from that position right now? Okay. So he was getting a lot of lot of shit for being a little bit bigger, but I think a lot of that I think he's more more ripped potentially i mean i I know dre kind of went went heavy on the weights and stuff and he's showing it i think 50 was a little bit more muscle in there than the people are getting credit for i i love the there someone got a really good picture of the very end where like eminem's mean mugging and dre's mean mugging and kendrick and then 50 cents in the back just cheeses you super <laughs> smile yeah <laughs> the the 180 he's done with his personality since his music career and it is abs like absolutely hilarious well, once and you own still, a vitamin water, you kind of lose all credibility, right? And, and he still has the worst first pitch of all time. <laughs> By far. Not even, well, okay, didn't a lady at the Royals game hit the cameraman that one year? No, like, it. at least it would, that one was relatively near the plate. That one, like, it it went into the other dugout, like, on the on the first base side. I, don't, I think that photographer was, like, 12 feet in front of her. Oh yeah, I think you're right. I, for, I was thinking of a different she one. Literally, I was thinking of a different threw, one. Like twelve yeah, yeah. feet in front of her to the left and hit the guy with the camera. That it was. Oh, that was almost like at least fifty's got some airtime. Like it may not have been in the right direction, but it got some. It, it got spiked it. real early. I don't know about airtime. Fifties wasn't the one he threw it into the other dugout, like Joel said. It was, I but it, it, like, I thought it, it was heading it. in that direction. But it certainly was. It, it didn't. It didn't have a lot of airtime. <laughs> Irregardlessly, real bad. You're a real friggin' bad. A hell of a hell of a job on the English there, Josh. Yep. I'm, I'm gonna say irregardlessly a lot. Uh spoiler alert, it's gonna happen a lot. I love that word, non-word. Well, this is the podcast for it. And if you're listening, by the way, this will be our last podcast on the Royals Review Radio Network. So uh we've been doing this since like June of 2019. So a little over two and a half years here. We've been um on SB Nation, Vox employees, whatever you want to say, but it's the Royals Review Radio guys who have who have had us as a part of their little podcast family. So, really appreciate that. Um, this will be our last one, and then we've got some we've got some some things in the works that we'll announce at a later date. But uh, yeah, so thanks for listening. Uh, just remember, you'll need to find us on a different network uh, coming up here soon. Yeah, and we'll, and we'll have all those all those announcements you can expect in probably a week or two. Uh, we'll take a couple weeks off. There's we're, we're running out of ideas, as you can tell. Uh, so <laughs> as it gets a little bit closer into March, you'll, you'll see some stuff pop up about where we'll be and, and what's to come. And we're really excited about it. We got some really fun stuff planned for you this season. Uh, but we, all, we will, we're going to have some fun on the back end of this episode as we've done the last few. Uh, but for now, uh, Rob Manford is trying to nuke minor league baseball. 
And I don't even think that sums it up well enough. I think there's worse things I could say, but that see it. And it seems like that's kind of what he's wanted to do and just hasn't outwardly said it. Um, but that seems to be the direction he wants to take it, which so much for growing the game and negotiating in good faith there, Uncle Rob. I think there's a no doubt in my mind that Rob Manfred sleeps with his socks on <laughs> and B there is a 0% chance that man wears anything but whitey tidies. Yeah. And I'm talking like, like Calvin Klein, whitey tidies, not even the cool kind. Like dude looks like a grandpa naked like that. He is like, there is no shot that if his wife ever left him, he would Jeff Bezos his way into more women. Rob Manford would die alone. That is all I can tell you about him. He looks like a Bond villain. I don't, I mean, I just don't understand <laughs> yeah. how he was ever given some kind of like platform with his face. I mean, you can't be the face of a sport and look like he does. It, it looks like he's about to, I don't know, drop somebody in a, a lava pit or something. Christoph Waltz will do a really good job playing Rob Manford when there's the, the movie in a couple of years about how baseball is, how he destroyed baseball. 100%. Signing up he looks that. like he almost looks like he's being held hostage. Like he is such an ass that it looks like, like I can't tell if he just hates his own face. And every time he has to go into public, he's like, I am the ugliest man on earth. And yet I have to go do this thing in public. Or if he is just really that salty of a human being, I because, think like, I don't know many people who hate themselves more than he does. And who like outwardly expresses how much he hates himself. Like, I don't know if he has someone at home who like cares for him, but if they're not careful, Rob Manford is going to end up like going off the deep end because he clearly hates himself and is trying to express his anger of his own being on everybody else because the only other logical and, and back to a, a more serious matter here, my only working theory for the, for the idea of cutting more minor league positions is that they are trying to hold an atom bomb over the players' heads in order to get them to agree to something else, like with Joel, like what you said, is that is bad faith negotiation. A negotiation is supposed to be, hey, look, I really want this, and I know you really want that, and so we'll meet in the middle so we can both get about a quarter or about a half of what we want. Holding an atom bomb over the players' heads is not a good faith negotiation. That is not saying, hey, here's something we really want. It's lying. It's saying, hey, here's something we don't want to do, and we want you to really worry about this so that you'll give us X, whatever that thing is. But there is no way that the owners actually want this. Like it is so nonsensical that there is no way that any logical human being would look at that and go, hey, this is a good business venture for the future. And, and one thing I want to keep in mind before I let you guys get back into this, people will say, well, the owners, all they care about is money. Well, okay they're billionaires like they they have some business sense like let's if we're going to have a, a conversation about this let's make sure we give them a little bit of credit yes are they looking for a, a short-term gain probably but they like john sherman just paid a billion dollars to own the royals he doesn't want this investment to go sour he needs to recoup that billion dollars and the only way to do that is by investing in the long run right like these owners know that they have to know that which is why my only working theory is they are intentionally sabotaging the negotiation to get the players to agree to something else, and then they will yank back this idea of cutting more minor league positions because it, it makes so little sense that not even the owners could actually want that. 
So here's the problem, Alex, is what you are applying to this is legitimate logic and reason. And I don't think that is what's happening in these negotiation rooms where Major League Baseball is claiming to, yeah, we are negotiating in good faith when you decided after the lockout, we're going to take six weeks to even mention, let's let's get back to the negotiating table. And then the players, and then you bring a, a proposal to the table that gets nixed in 30 minutes. The players come back. And they bring something to the table, you nix it right away and go, okay, two days later, we're we're gonna we're gonna get you something in two days. Oh, we're just not gonna go ahead and do that. Mm. Or we're we're just gonna we're gonna sit on this for a little bit longer. And then you put Rob Manford in front of a media in front of media availability, which you can tell is the last thing he wants to do, because that means he has to try and speak for the owners and he's just showing his ass and the owners are showing their ass. And then, you know, oh, no, we when they asked him about what made me the most mad was everything I mentioned prior to this about how the owners did and the MLB did not want to come to the table when they asked about negotiating. He's like, oh, yeah, the phone works both ways. I don't know. I think the players have seemed like they've wanted to get something done. Like this entire time, like they actually want to play baseball because, you know, they actually like baseball. They actually want to move the game forward. They want to play this game for us because we love baseball too. It's clear you do not. And then, in, and then after saying, Oh yeah, we're going to put this nego- this together. We think it's a really good proposal. We're negotiating good faith. Like we've done this entire time. And then the meeting lasts an hour with absolutely no, no headway. Where we are pretty- watching the, like, I, I don't like the baseball is dying, killing the sport narrative. I hate but that is exactly what we are watching. And I try not to be hyperbolic when it comes to stuff like this, but this is completely torpedoing the sport in a way that is going to be very hard to come back from if we actually do miss games. And I think it's pretty clear that they are not negotiating good faith. They're, they're playing the politics and doing this is all tactics. I mean, these guys, it's not their first go around in these, nego- these type of negotiations. I will say to Alex's point about Manfred acting like a kidnapping victim, he essentially is. I mean, he is yeah. at the owner's mercy. He has to act on their best interest in order to maintain his commissionership. So he it legitimately is a kidnapping victim. Um, the other part of this is I saw a tweet saying that in order to pay an entire 180-man minor league system, it's like $2.5 million. And we're talking about hundreds of millions of dollars in negotiating here. And we can't we're talking about eliminating something that costs $2.5 million. It seems like that could be worked in somewhere. It's, it's, it's probably more like somewhere between five and 10 when you include veteran minor leaguers, when you include sure. now they got to pay for housing. So that will be a substantial chunk of some kind. So, but still, like you said, like the point remains, you're talking about five to $10 million for all of the minor league players. Mm-hmm. Like they all cost less than Carlos Santana. <laughs> I was I was talking to my brother. I was like, you could legitimately waive Ryan O'Hearn and that would pay for the entire minor league system. Yes. You could buy okay, if the Royals really did cut Ryan O'Hearn and run out a 25 man roster when 26 is allowed, Ryan O'Hearn's what's he gonna make? Five hundred and sixty thousand dollars, something like that, would is pay in, for a whole team. Is he still pre arb? I, I think he's still pre arb. Is he okay? Yeah. He would, so it, bad it, would legitimately, it would pay for the entire team. Yeah. For like, it would pay for the Columbia Fireflies, the entire, mm-hmm. all of them. Like, this, we're, we're not talking about millions. And, and by the way, the 30 guys they're talking about cutting are probably 
like the $8,000 a year guys. So you're mm -hmm. talking about what is that $240,000. Like the guys we're talking about cutting are going to save the save each team a quarter of a million dollars. That's what we're that's what we're talking about in a billion a multi-billion dollar industry where the the smallest market team is worth a billion dollars. John Sherman could sell this team tomorrow for more than a billion dollars. And we're talking about 240,000, like 240,000 to me, uh, that would be a huge deal. It's like nine set. That's not, it's like seven salaries. Right. But still like that, that money in a multi-billion dollar industry, we're not talking, we're talking about nothing. We are talking about nothing. And mm -hmm. the fact that we're sitting here splitting hairs is again, back to my original point. There's no way the Royals, not the Royals, I'm sorry. The owners really believe this is the best case scenario. So Grant Gavin um, tweeted out a thread last night. He's talking about, um, for, for anybody who doesn't know, and I, I know Grant probably wouldn't make a big deal about this, Grant had an offer to punt in college, like like some relatively big offers. And I know, you know, the, the difference between pitching in college and punting in college probably doesn't sound like, you know, a lot. But if he mentioned that the 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 prospect of pitching professionally is one of the reasons he pursued college baseball. And again, would he have pursued college baseball anyway? Probably. But he went to UCM and was on the football team for a little bit. It's not the grants we're really talking about, like legitimately very talented pitchers. But Gerard Dyson was the example I gave. Yes. A 50th round draft pick out of high school who signed because what else really, you know, um, what other professional pursuits professional sports pursuits what i have in the near immediate future right so you can't go play professional football out of high school you can't go play professional basketball out of high school is is kind of what i was getting at so drod dyson then signs and is an integral part on a world series championship team does gerard dyson if he's in high school right now in a 20-man draft 20-round draft does he ever play professional baseball and those are the guys we're running off it's the AJ Browns of the world. It's the it's the Gerard Dysons. It's the do I want to go play Brewer Hicklin? Do I want to go play D1 football or D1 baseball? If I don't think I can play professional baseball, I'll just focus on football and see if my raw athletic ability can carry me there. It's like, why are we trying to push these guys away? And I just I can't wrap my head around the fact that that's really what they want. Something something else kind of wondered about this. Maybe it's a coincidence, but I kept I saw a lot more minor leaguers tweeting at their players association being like, speak up for us. We need a voice. Tell us, you know, we need to be involved in this because this is us later um, type of things. And that's when I started seeing talk about eliminating some of those some of those players. So part of me wonders if it's like a leverage situation where the owners are trying to get a wedge between the minor leaguers who are way more. Uh, plentiful than the guys that are actually on the 40 man on every team. It makes me wonder if they're trying to wedge in those between those two groups uh, to kind of get a little bit more um, stop momentum wedge between their unity and uh, see if they can, you know, undermine some of that authority and some of that momentum. Because technically the MLBPA doesn't represent the minor leaguers. Mm -hmm. And I know, minor league baseball players unionizing would be a trip i don't know i don't even know how that would work like yeah like i i just don't know how it works like what leverage do you have i just you know yeah. it would take like bobby witt jr adley rutschman julio rodriguez to all sit out now i again i don't know what that looks like that would be that would be a lot 
It'd but be tough more, to ask them to do that too. I mean, right. they're I mean, right on the door. I don't, I don't, yeah, it'd be tough. Right. But that's what it would take. And so you're talking about a, that would be almost impossible. So now it's up to the MLBPA to represent, to, to defend them. And MLBPA has so much going on at the big league level. And by the way, I have been very outspoken about how much I believe this is the owner's fault. And I want to make sure I'm clear on that. However, the players messed up so bad in 2011 that some of this falls on them in the regard that I don't, I don't want to get into too many specifics. I will give you an example. While major league baseball was fighting for the right to control players for that extra year and, and not have to worry about gaming service time players, just one example, one of the biggest things they were worried about was having an in-house barber Mm-hmm. in the clubhouse. Like those are the types of things that we're fighting over in 2011. And I just, I hear, I, you, you hear these stories and it's like, yes, the owners are clearly gaming this. This is clearly an owner's problem. But part of the reason we're here is it was such a bad negotiating team in 2011 for the players that it almost set CBA negotiations back. Like mm-hmm. there's a, there, that's part of the reason we're here. So with that said, the players have to be better this time about sticking up for the things they need and sticking up for the minor leaguers. And now Major League Baseball has the leverage because the players didn't win a lot in 2011. In fact, they kind of got their butts kicked in these negotiations. And so now they're having to like recover from those and make steps forward, right? And so I don't know what this will end up looking like, but they have got to do a better job of paying attention to the finances and where the big money is going to come from. And not the ticky tack stuff that we can we can solve in like four like four days. That would not take long. Like some of the stuff they were worried about in 2011. So hopefully the our hearts are in the in a better place as we go into these negotiations and we can get these minor leaguers taken care of a little better. Yeah, there there's just no reason to to do this. And we saw it and the the hits that some of the just the communities in some of these places took. Because I mean, if they're taking this away, I mean that's a team. Like if you're talking about cutting 30 guys, that's a team that could be Columbia. That could be quad cities. That could be Tulsa. You know, that could be any, any, you know, pick a community that doesn't have a pro team to go to that you know, that relies on that for their, just their little hit of baseball, you know, once the college season is done or whatever it is. So I just, I, it's just the last thing I want to see. It's the complete opposite of trying to grow the game the way it needs to be grown because uh, baseball continues to fall further behind. And if this continues to go, it's going to get worse. If, you know, for fans, you know, people that are listening to this that were old enough to remember, you know, to think about the, the strike in 94, it took four years for baseball to recover because of the seat, the time they missed. It took a steroid fueled home run chase between McGuire and Sosa to get people even to remotely care about baseball again. So, I don't want baseball to get to that point. You don't want that. Josh doesn't want that. So get your shit together. <laughs> like if you really care about growing this game, we need to move things forward fast it, because people will walk away and they won't look back. Well, and that's one of the things too that I keep thinking about is like maybe the owners are trying to leverage so hard right now because they know in a week they're going to have to cave in because – all the money they lost in 2020 from TV deals, from ticket sales, from not having a, a, most of a season due to COVID, 
that that really is. That's a lot of money you expected to have that you didn't end up having. Now they they ended up skewing salaries. So what that looks like overall, I don't know. But they definitely did not make what they thought they were going to make in 2020. I think it's fair to just assume that's obvious. They cannot physically afford, I don't think, to miss a bunch of games this season. Like I really don't think that. I think they know that, and I think right now it's potentially a full court press by the owners to grab something from the players before they know they have to cave in so they can get like, think about the, the subliminal message behind giving the players a date. It's like, Hey, here's the date we need to go. That kind of acknowledges that the owners are saying, Hey, here's a date in our minds when we need to go. Maybe they have an ultimatum in, in, in store and we'll see. I, I'm, I'm kind of tinfoil hatting this one, but I really believe there's a, there's a chance that the owners know they got to get a deal done and they're putting on a full court press to get the players to give them something for something the owners are planning on giving them anyway. So we'll see. I really don't believe we miss many games, if any. I, I am more willing to acknowledge that there's a chance we could miss a couple games now than I was, but I, I, really, I really don't believe they're going to miss many. I really think they're going to play most of, if not a full – major league season full 162 or like i mentioned on previous podcast if the new cba only allows them 154 games a season i think that'll be what they play but i think they get really close to a full season still i i tend to agree i i think i think your point of they're leveraging so hard now because they're just trying to see if they can get the players to give in before they have to because i do think the legitimate threat of losing money is impending with spring training, like we're recording this on on Tuesday night, pitchers and catchers are support, supposed to report today. So that means we're already behind on spring training. Players really don't get paid in spring training, right? Anyways, so at that point, it's you know there's a little bit of leverage there for the owners to to not want it, or players don't want a full spring training either because they're not getting paid. But I do think the actual threat of oh crap, spring training games actually do make us some money because people actually go to those and people, you know, they fly to Florida or they fly to Arizona to go and watch games and spend spring break and do all this stuff. And they're not paying the players. And they're not paying the players. So they're that's all just money they're raking in. I do think that they're that things are going to move quickly as we get to the end of this month and beginning of March. And if it if by the beginning of March have a new CBA. Three, you know, three weeks get, you know, players are getting ramped up, you know, they're, they're taking matters into their own hands, having to do it, but you know, they're, they're getting ready for the season, just like they should. And three weeks spring training and we go and we play 162 and we can act like everything is okay, at least for a little bit. I don't know. I'm, I'm not, <clears throat> I'm not as optimistic as you guys, because this, it's the same argument that we've been talking about. They're billionaires. I mean, spring training dollars and cents is not going to matter to them. I don't think. No, but I, I, mean, I no, but it, I think that is like the beginning of the slope, like the snowball beginning to build going down the sure, mountain, and 100%. that, and so if they miss some like a week and a half of spring training, that's a, probably a week and a half of games that you're going to miss, and think about the money you lose, especially like heading into opening day. Like most stadiums are sold out or damn near close, so you think about the amount of money you're losing there into that stretch. I, I think there, I think there's some serious. I think we could run into some serious issues there. If we sure. end up missing more than about three or four weeks, I do think baseball is going to tank for a long time. And I hate that that's the case, but I, I think it's going to matter that much. Like passionate fans like us, we're going to watch baseball no matter when it comes on. But mm-hmm. for the casual fan that we were trying to reach and are getting really close to it with all the stars we have in the game the last two years, it, people they are going to walk away. They don't care. The, the NBA finals are going to be on in the middle of that season. And then we're hitting right into the NFL. 
So they're they're not going to care. Like they're and I don't even they they probably won't even watch baseball in the middle of July when it's just baseball. Stanley Cup is finals are done, NBA finals is done, college football, pro balls a month away. There's that six week window where it's just football, baseball. They don't care. Voluntary workouts in the NFL start around then, right? Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I totally understand. I mean, I, I hope that you guys, your optimism is 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 uh, the correct way to go. But um, here I am, probably the old one in the podcast and the real cynic. Shout out to Wordle. So cynic, this guy. I will say, I will. I keep coming back to this point. Max Reaper made. Major League Baseball has never missed a game due to a lockout. Yep. We'll see. Yep. Joel, you want to throw in an ad break and then we'll do people's questions? The yes. People's, we, the we, people's champions hour <laughs> on the other side of the ad break. By the way, the rock, the pregame, uh, 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 I don't know what you call it. The warm up thing. Incredible. Electric. I, I thought it was, that was awful. I, I thought it was, it was so, so unnecessary and stupid. What? Corny. It was so, so corny. corny. You guys are high. This is the I rock would, we're talking about. Did I would you have see how much, big his biceps were. They're crazy. I would have much rather had Michael Buffer do the let's get ready to no, rumble. That is so let's crazy. get ready get to rumble. Would have much rather had that. Or they Bruce that Buffer. Every, time, every or, Raiders home game has a buffer there. I'm, or, I'm over. I, or I would have rather had Bruce Buffer go, it's time. Yeah, like, I mean, that would have been better than Rock's two, the Rock's nope. two-minute soliloquy that just was nope. dumb as hell. Yes, I, Finally, I agree. The fighting out of the has come to Los Angeles. Fighting out of the blue corner. <laughs> that would have been better. I that hate it. The Rock all day long. <sighs> we'll be right back. <laughs> So we thank you to those that, that sent in questions. Alex sent it out a couple hours ago. And I think, I think we got at least a, a couple baseball ones to talk about, a couple oh, random yeah. ones. So what, what do we got here, Alex? Okay, we're going to start off with a question about Robert Moore, and the answer is no. No. <laughs> no. It's not happening. You guys are not that, on board dude, with it? This or is the thing. You just, don't like, you just think he'll, he'll be gone by then? No, I just don't think. Dayton Moore won't allow it. Yeah. Yeah, makes sense. So, so here's the thing. It's, it is the worst situation to be in because any other year you would look at this and go, oh, Robert Moore to the Royals makes so much sense it hurts. Like it's painfully it, – it is, it is so – I mean, it is so clear which GM is, Rob, or is Robert Moore's dad that it hurts. Like it is so blatantly obvious by the way he plays baseball that it's funny. It, truly, it, it, the fit is so perfect that it hurts – it will never happen. Think about all the things we just talked about with minor league baseball. Think about any time a promotion would have to be happening, a demotion, a coach ripping into his ass for jogging to first base. There is no way this wins. There's no shot. This is why teams draft other people's kids all the time to give them a shot because their dads can't do it. They're not able to do it. There's no way that the Royals draft Robert Moore, even though the fit is perfect. And, and, Hear me, for everybody who's listening to this, the fit is perfect. I would love to watch Robert Moore in a Royals uniform. He is he's, awesome. He's really good. It's not happening. So I, I mentioned it in the very first article I wrote about the 2022 draft. I wrote up Robert Moore. Here's a player profile, and we're not talking about him anymore. This is, will be the last time I address it. He's not playing for the Royals. He will not be drafted by the Royals. You can at old takes exposed. I am confident it's not happening. Okay, Alex, before we move on, just because I thought about this, sparked my brain for a second. It is February 15th. College baseball starts this week with the ninth pick in the 2022 MLB first-year player draft the Kansas City Royals take. 
Uh, Robert Moore. Know. Um, University of Arkansas. I actually think Gavin Cross out of Virginia Tech, the the guy that Baseball America mocked to him, makes some sense. If if you're asking me who I want right now, Chase Delauder's my guy. That Ooh. dude, he is so good. He is so good all over the field. I think Jacob Berry could fall if he looks like a clown at third base, which should be the pick. There's honestly, there are nine college bats at the top of this draft class, plus the three prep stars, plus Dylan Lesko. There are 13 guys I could talk myself into. Probably 11 if you take out um, Brock Jones out of Stanford. And then there's another guy in there I won't mention, but I just like, there are so many guys worth taking with that number nine spot. It's a good year to have the number nine pick. I'll call my shot and say Carter Young. That's okay. That would be my guy too. I he's gonna have to really cut down on the swing and miss, but he was injured. And if like the problem with Carter That's Young, the thing. I think I think he's either gonna go top five or like 25. Yeah, I think that's totally fair. But I think it was that one swing that we saw when they played Arizona where he just, I mean, and he looked awful the first couple innings I think it was in the field it was just rough whatever whatever it was and then he just he turned on a ball middle in and put it in the middle like and that's not an easy park to get the ball out of and he hit it midway up the bleachers and right center and we just looked at each other and we're like oh I think that kid's kind of good so I, if he's healthy and doesn't swing and miss a crap ton give he's me that kid five. at nine yeah if, if he's so there if he's there so maybe Maybe he doesn't in the Royals underslot him at nine. I would be down with that. Carter Young, if you don't know, great defender, runs well. Shortstop out of Vanderbilt. Sorry. Power. Just the he got hurt last year and all of a sudden he started striking out a lot. So he, he would be a guy, but I just it's a weird fit in terms of the draft and how players you like that usually go. Um same guy asked, what would be a considered a successful year for the development of Mazzucato, Kuderna, and Panzini? Healthy. Pitch all year. I don't, I don't care what it looks like. Honest to God, I, I need the stuff to play up, and I need you to be healthy all year. So like Ben Hernandez last year looked great, got hurt. Um, can you be healthy? Can you pitch 80 innings? Can you throw 70 innings in your first professional season? I don't care what it looks like as long as the velocity is there. Like if Frank Mazzucato is throwing 88 miles an hour in July, I'm going to have some concerns. But as long as the velocity holds up, as long as everybody's healthy, I don't care if they have an 8 ERA. Just be healthy and pitch. Give us something to watch. Yes, I think that's I think that's right. Now, yeah, I think successful, generally speaking, would be just stay healthy. You want really successful? At least one of them ends up in high A by the All-Star break. I can see it. Maybe not by the All-Star break, but I can yeah, see one of those guys getting a cup All-Star of tea break. in July and August. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> now, if you want to take it a step further with that, which of the three do you think goes first? Hmm. I want to say it'll be Kuderna. That's the that's the reports. It seems like he's got a little bit uh, higher floor at the moment, and uh, it seems like he's a little bit more advanced than the other guys. It seems like the other guys a little bit more projectable. So um, I'm gonna I would say Kuderna. Kuderna. Probably. Maybe if Panzini's changeups any good, I think he's. I mean, he's older for one. He's like a year older than both of them. I mean, those high school kids. So. Maybe Panzini based on that, but off of talent, like if things go really well, Kuderna. If it's just you throw a guy in there at the end of the year, probably Panzini. Next question, same guy, assuming he gets the proper tutelage, great word, 
from Rusty Koontz, <laughs> great name. Does Nick Lofton have the necessary athleticism to play center field at Kauffman Stadium? As suggested by Keith Law. <sighs> I don't think so. In Maybe. a pinch, it's like Kyle Isbell. Like in a pinch, you oh. probably could put him out there. But do you really want him to play center field in Detroit, in Cleveland, in Kansas City? Like I, I just don't see that. Like if you really need him to run him out there against a lefty and you, you know, and everybody's hurt and you need to throw him out there, probably he can hold his own. I don't need to see it over 162. I think if you put him in left field, I think he has a chance to be really good. And or if you just want to move him around to wherever the hell, that's fine too. I think he's a good enough defender, versatile enough defender, a la Whit Merrifield, to hold his own just about anywhere. I just don't think he can hold his own in center field for too long. I will say I'm with I am I agree 100 percent with everything you just said personally. I think he is Kyle Isbell in the outfield. I read two reports already this offseason that suggest Nick Lofton's a lot faster than I'm giving him credit for, like raw speed. And when we released our rankings and I mentioned he couldn't play center field, probably I got a text from someone who said, don't count on that just yet. Okay. So (laughs) everything I'm reading suggests he's faster than I realize. I don't think Nick Lofton is that straight line fast, which I know being fast is only part of playing the outfield, but Kauffman Stadium is so big, it's kind of a major part of it. Like, and, and it's just, it's and it's the other, out there. and it's the other stadiums of the division too. Like Detroit right. playing Detroit. the gaps, they're playing the gaps in Detroit. Cleveland is kind of funky. De, you know, Chicago is kind of is what it is, but it's not. You know, it's not easy. And then um, Minnesota is not that easy either. Yeah. If he yeah, was in the NL East, if if he played for the Boston Red Sox, you can put Nick Lofton in center field, and he would be just fine. Seems like instincts can carry you a long way, but some of these ballpark dimensions are just so wacky. It it, it goes out the door completely. Whit Merrifield is a prime example. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Whit Merrifield, great in the corners. Whit Merrifield in center field got exposed a little bit. Not his fault. Went out there, yeah. did. I mean, I'm assuming he gave it his best. It's just, it's too much if you don't have like that 55, 60 grade legitimate raw speed. It's just, it's too big. You cannot physically get to where you're going in time. So, I don't know. Um, I'm up for the experiment, though. Oh hell yeah! I would. I mean, I also <laughs> double think, A. Heck I also yeah! Think if, give if give me a fast track. I also think if that's something the Royals wanted, he would have played center field this year. I don't know that he played any center field with high A with the Quad Cities. So, like, uh, I feel like we would have seen that already, right? I mean, they ran Jason Guzman out there, so they clearly were looking for someone who could do it. Jason Guzman now is in Arizona. I, I would just assume they would have let Lofton do it if that was the plan. So the fact that he didn't probably tells me not going to happen, but whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, Royals Weekly, our guy, Marcus Mead, out there running Royals Weekly, at Royals Weekly on Twitter. Um, one of my favorite Royals podcasts I listen to. Well, there's not very many Royals podcasts, but among Royals things to listen to, Royals Weekly does a great job. Go check them out, like, subscribe, whatever. Uh, what do we need to see from minor league pitchers to show us the minor league pitching development is indeed taking a step forward? I th- think you're going to see it with these velocity gains. Ben Kuderna already hitting 99 with regularity, hitting 103 on a pull down, which I know people are going to come out of the woodwork. He's not in the mound. Okay, but we <laughs> the, the physical ability to throw a baseball 103, he couldn't do that before. Now he can, right? I mean, that is development. If Frankie Mazzucato is hitting 95-96, that's development. If Shane Panzini is throwing 96, 97, that's development. Ben Hernandez came out last year and hit 98. 
That is physical growth and development. And by the way, that may not sound like a big deal in terms of just adding velocity. Foster Griffin was drafted throwing 89-93 and was throwing 87-91 when I saw him in AA a couple years later. Like He physically regressed in velocity. The ability to make guys throw harder is part of developing. Ben Hernandez did not, at full stop, have a curveball coming out of high school. It was a decent pitch for him in Columbia last year. That's development. So I think physical stuff is one thing, but I think being healthy is phase two. Mm. Ben Hernandez didn't make it 40 innings last year. I think we need to see, A, can you help guys develop stuff? B, can you help them maintain their bodies while they're doing it? And I think that that crop of uh, prep pitchers is going to be the telltale. Yeah, because they can get a lot of that uh, seasoning and development in the college, especially coming from the SEC, like a lot of these pitchers are that that's in this system. Um, being able to develop these prep arms is going to be a ginormous step forward for this uh, for this program or this this system for sure. Yeah, I, I think it solely hinges on the performance, uh, or not solely, but I think uh, the best indicators will be among the prep guys yep. that we that got drafted this year and last year. If they take leaps and bounds forward, I think that'll show a lot. I, I don't think you'll see it as much with some of the college guys, just because they're most of the time their floors are pretty well established. They've you know come in, they've you know they're already 22, 23 sometimes, and they've pitched a lot more. So mm-hmm. there, there's only so much more development to go. It's just at that point, it's like prospect finishing school. And it's just, let's tweak the tweak, you know, one or two things here and there. And then you're good with some high school guys. There's a lot more you have to do to get, to get things rolling. And if we see, I mean, if Ben, if Ben Kuderna goes out there and throws 99 in his first start, obviously he's going to be amped up, but if he's in maintaining that velocity into the fourth, fifth inning, Oh, Oh God. Like we're, we're, we're seeing stuff. Like I had, I had to, unfortunately nix the, the quote, but he talked about that pull down. He's like, you got to throw hard to throw hard. So it seems like there is some fault, not just in the way that, you know, they're just de- deploying these throwing programs, but it's just an organizational philosophy change of really trying to get to turning Kansas city into like Cleveland West. I mean, John Sherman was there and he saw you draft. If the Royals, I think Alex, you might've said it off air, but, if the, if the Cleveland had drafted Frank Mazzucato, he'd be a top 100 prospect just on track record of yep. what reputation. Cleveland does yep. on reputation. If the Royals can turn into 70% of that, I think they're going to be in a really good shape. Hell yes. Kevin Agee asked if we would trade Nick Prado straight up for Christian Patchy if Freddie Freeman leaves Atlanta. Oh. That would Here's hurt. my thing. That would Do you hurt think so that Christian Patchy is capable – of being Michael A. Taylor at the plate. I don't right think now. So right now. Yeah. Not, do. not down the line. Wait, See, I don't think so. So you think he can hit good now, but not when he's 27. That's what I'm asking you to clarify. Are you, are oh. you're, you're surely wanting more from them from the plate down the line. Right. And then you're like four. Yeah. Yeah. He's it's so that that's he such a one tough... eleven last year. He has not been good at all. I mean, he he has not been good at all. I mean, he's got got Mondesi's approach without the hit tool. (laughs) Yeah. Like, it's it's rough. And I was was the biggest Christian Patchy truther there was. Coming into the 2020 season, before they canceled the season, I had him ranked as the third best prospect in baseball. You did not Mm -hmm. know a bigger Christian Patchy fan than me. But 
my God, the hit tool. It is so bad combined with the approach that it's like he could be Andrew Jones in center field. Yeah. But if he can't be Michael A. Taylor at the plate, then what is he? Yeah, I. It, it's tough because you're weighing like a better hitting prospect in Nick Prado at a position where you can put just about anybody there and, you know, it's going to be fine. Whereas you're talking about a premium defensive position for a team in an organization that does put a premium on being an elite defender in center field, which is why Michael A. Taylor is still here. And that's fine. They're willing to sacrifice some offense for the elite defense. And Christian Pache is like a 70 or 80 grade defender in center field. He is that good. We talked about Andrew Jones, like that is the comp for how good he is defensively. But God, he cannot hit. Like you, you at least need to have some semblance of like a pulse at the plate. Michael A. Taylor at least has some of that. I'm not talking that he needs to be a 130 WRC plus hitter, gets 80 or 85, win a gold glove, you t- and hit eight or nine in the lineup. That's fine. I don't even know if Christian pa- Christian Pache at this point can do that. Here's here's another very jarring stat. Nine stolen bases in 89 games last year. He got caught seven times. He was only nine. He was only nine for 16 on stolen base attempts. He's supposed to be a speed guy. He can't rip a bag, apparently. Yeah, I, I had to think of, when I saw that question. I really had to think about it because I really I, I'm like with Alex. I really right. like Christian Pache coming into 2020. I, I just don't know if I do it at this point. I think Nick Prado is going to be a lot better. Yeah, overall player than Christian Pache going forward. I would agree. I would. I got might have a different name involved, and that might be another question that we got. Hang on. We'll come right back to that. I just want yeah. to give some context here. Michael A. Taylor was 23% worse than league average at the plate last year. He had a 77 weighted runs created plus. He was by far the best defensive center fielder in baseball, like mm. not particularly close, and couldn't get to two wins. He wasn't even worth two wins last year. Yeah. So his, he was 1.9 F4. If you go down to Garrett Hampson, Garrett Hampson was a top 10 defender in center field, had a 65 weighted runs created plus, and he was worth less than one win. Like Mm -hmm. being really good defensively in center field almost isn't good enough if you can't be close to league average offensively. And I don't know that that Patchy can do that. And and I want to look at um really quick, let's like let's look at first baseman, like um if you take oh who's a good example of a guy who wasn't like elite what a mancini let's go with let's go with um josh bell josh bell last year played most of a full season josh bell had a 118 weighted runs created plus that's wild just just a little bit better than league average and was worth 1.8 wins so he was playing first base hitting just a little bit above league average. I mean, nothing crazy with 118. He's like the 19th best first baseman and almost worth the same amount of wins as Michael A. Taylor, who was the best defensive center fielder in baseball. So, man, I don't know if I would trade Prado for, for Patchy straight up. Probably because you have Pasquantino, probably. And would I trade Pasquantino for Patchy? Probably, almost definitely. But, I mean, really at this point, the fact that it's a conversation is a far cry from where we used to have. Yeah. Um, yeah. If you, if you would ask Both me this question, guys. if you would ask me this question going into 2020, I wouldn't even blinked before I said yes. Well, hell yeah. Yep. But I just, I think we have, and I don't know how many plate appearances he has, but it, it's probably not a lot, but the, like, like you said, the approach combined with the hit tool, it tells you a lot about where he's at. And unless he completely turns it around this year, I, I think right now I, I keep Prado. Should have sailed on his prospect status. Was it 23. Is that what I saw? 
something like that. Is Patrick 23? Yeah, he and Prado are the same age. Uh, 23. Yep. Yeah. Josh, you, you said you had another name in mind. I got a couple names uh, that probably would come cheaper than Pache at this point. Pache. Uh, I mean, Victor Robles could probably be got for a lot less and provide similar value at the moment with similar upside at this point, right? Uh, also plays a really good center field. Also got the legs. Also have big question marks about his hit tools. So I could, I would see taking a shot on Victor Robles. Uh, Nationals are clearly uh, rebuilding, and uh, I think he could be had for maybe one of these mid-tier pitching prospects that we have so many of them. Uh, so I feel like that could be a decent deal. Also, Taylor Trammell. I think I've talked about him a couple times with you guys. You uh, love that man. I love Taylor Trammell. I love him. He's got a great personality. Uh, I, I think he's got a great, you know, he's, he's kind of fallen off a little bit. His stock's kind of down a little bit, but they've got Kellenick, Kyle Lewis, Jake Fraley, Ty France could play some outfield, Mitch Hanniger. And they got uh, Julio coming. Julio coming. Dylan Moore could play a little bit of the outfield. So they do have a little bit of a, no, I wouldn't say log jam, but they can absolutely do without Taylor Trammell and trying to get, you know, get his stock built back up. So I'd take a shot at Taylor Trammell or Victor Robles at this point, see what, uh, if we could buy low on either of those dudes and unlock any of the potential that they were as top, as top prospects formerly. Neither of those yeah, do anything for me. I'll I'm be honest. Fine. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're, who's he taking out of the lineup? Michael A. Taylor? Okay. Sounds good. I'm fine with That's it. That's fair. Yeah. But it's almost like it's almost one of those things where like the name is more expensive than the player. Sure. Like you're going to be paying for a name. And honestly, I think if the Royals wanted Taylor Trammell, that he would be a Royal right now. I really think conversations were enough last summer that Whit Merrifield would be a Mariner if the Royals wanted Taylor Trammell. So I don't, I don't even think it's a conversation. I just Probably. think like it's, 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 it's such a weird thing we do with prospects is like, Ooh, we can buy the name. And it's like, well, he used to be really good. It's like, yeah, but we've seen him for two more years. And he's, right. he's clearly not what we all thought he was. <laughs> and it's like, you're still charging me for 2020 Taylor Trammell. Like, it's 2022. I'm not paying 2020 price on on the guy. So, I don't know. I just I did also think it was along the same lines. Joe Adele from, from uh, the Angels. I wondered if uh, maybe Ship and Mondesi out there, uh, they're kind of shortstopless at the moment. Could use a couple more seasons of Mondesi to unlock what they got. You would have to give a mon to see Daniel Lynch and you think, yeah, it, it seems like they're they weren't super high on. Uh, I mean, he hasn't done much to play it either for his limited ABs. It'll take him a while because he's so long. Yeah, Joe Adele, I think is still he's still hit what thirty five home runs or something last year at AAA. Probably. I mean, speaking he, of he Khalil Lee, rushes the baseball. Can we bring up Khalil Lee on this no, podcast yet? No, no. no. <laughs> No, but that's clearly. I mean, he had a great triple A baseball, right? But he his triple A numbers were huge last year, and his because major he doesn't numbers swing. Right? He, he waits until it's an O two count. He like he waits until he has two strikes and then decides to swing. And more often than not, he swings right through it. Well, clearly plays the game of I bet you can't throw me three strikes before you throw me four balls. <laughs> I don't hate that. I do. Adele Adele hit twenty three dingers last year in triple A. By far as most, but yeah, just 23. He hits the ball so damn hard. Like, yeah, it's not Suli raw power, but it's 65 grade raw power. I mean, it's, it's impressive. Yeah. I don't, I don't think, I don't think they, because if you pair Adele with Trout, I mean, oh my God. 
Um, oh my god! And they I got mean, what about, Brandon okay. Marsh is there too. Brandon I was gonna say I, that yeah. was like I was gonna bring up Brandon Marsh. I mean, you've talked about him for a while, Alex. See, okay, so there's a guy that <laughs> there's my Chris Chris Collinsworth. Now here's a guy. <laughs> now here's a guy. <laughs> um, Brandon Marsh is a guy. I think like if you're gonna target somebody, go go get a Brandon Marsh. Go buy low on somebody who you don't have to pay for the name. Brandon Marsh was never Joe Adele. Brandon Lowe, says his name. Josh Lowe, center fielder in Tampa Bay. Josh Lowe. Josh Lowe. Never yeah. been a big name. Like, I don't know. I, I would rather have Kevin Kiermeyer almost than some of these guys just to have some stability out there. I just, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe. What, do you have any um, more questions? Oh, yeah, we do. Um, my favorite question of the day, what is your favorite integer between 68 and 70 and why? <laughs> nice. Nice. That's a good question. What's an integer? This guy said, I'd like to know if there's any position players you would trade for. What would you give up? Um, really? I mean, this is kind of the thing. The Royals have put themselves in a really good position to just watch their own guys mm-hmm. everywhere but center field. Yeah. Like, really, where? I mean, if you wanted to trade Kyle Isbell and Daniel Lynch and. Austin Cox for, you know, a veteran two and a half win every year, right fielder. I don't love it, but I mean, I get it. Like I get why you would want an upgrade there, but I'm also like, I'd rather just watch like, unless we're trading for a center fielder, let's just watch what our guys can do. And I would play all the young guys. I would be trying to move a couple of your veterans and then just let the young guys play. But center field is the only position I'm worth. I'm 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 wanting to have conversations about. Like every other position on the field, I I could just watch what they have just to see. What yeah. does Josh? Can you look up what the the free agency class looks like for center field after 2022? It's we can it's look it up. Pretty, but it's not good. It's not good. <laughs> yes, yeah, I honestly I honestly didn't know. That's why I was thinking about it. I wasn't trying to tee you guys up. I honestly didn't know. Well, okay. So this is this is this was my whole thing about Starling Marte this offseason. It's like people are like, oh, the Royals are a year too early. You're not giving Starling Marte one year. You can't sign Starling right. Marte next offseason. Yeah. He's not going to be there. So the reason you give him and by the way, what a freaking steal. Who signed him? Detroit? No, the who got Mets. Him? What a freaking steal the Mets got. <laughs> They didn't even pay him 20 a year. Right. They didn't have to give him five years. They gave him four and 78. Why can't the Royals do that? Why is that so crazy? Like, I felt like I was the asshole for suggesting they should be signing Starling Marte. That wasn't even a good contract. Like, he could, I would have gladly given him four and 80. Here, come play for us because now you can't sign him. Like, you could have, right. Anyway, the, I got him here. Tracker. Basically, Brandon Nimmo, Taylor Nyquin. Uh, Jankowski, Kike Hernandez, Lorenzo Kane, Jackie Bradley. Taylor, Tyler Naquin is the second name on that list. I'm, I'm well, I'm not. going from the bottom up. I think it's no. alphabetical, anyways. But Okiyama, uh, Jackie Bradley Jr., Lorenzo Kane, Kike Hernandez, Jankowski. Um, there, Kevin Kiermeyer is probably going to cut loose after his $13 million club option. Uh, Catel Marte's $10 million option is probably getting picked up. And Naquin and Nemo. Yep. Lorenzo Kane's a free agent. Oof. Yeah, not, not great. Wolf. Uh, but uh, I would be interested in maybe seeing what's going on with those Mets outfielders. If Nemo or McNeil want to, if we want to get them for the cheap, if that's an option, I, I could be interested in that as well. Brandon Nemo feels like a Royal so much it hurts. 100%. 100%. Yeah. 
hundred percent. Like you know, Dayton Moore loves that he sprints to first after a ball four. <laughs> everyone else in the love. everyone else in the baseball universe knows he's a gigantic hardo for that. But I you love know, it too, man. I, I think love it's it too. A, I think it's such a hardo move. Like I, I can't stand it. I don't. Brandon I don't disagree. Really, really, really freaking good. I yes, he's that. good. And no, I'm not. I'm not trying to criticize the guy. It's just. Like he feels so much like a royal. Like there are just certain guys that just like feel like they've been royals forever. Brandon Nimmo fits that bill. Yep. Uh, Brandon Nimmo hits too good to be that guy. Like he's almost too good to fit the bill. <laughs> like typically the royals are buying the bad fast players, not the good ones. Um, yep. But I would love Brandon Nimmo. Somebody asked MLB comp for wit. I would say still probably like Trevor Story, maybe a little bit better, but like toolsy. It's I, I think Trevor's story is probably a really like I, I don't even think that's like a, if he hits 100% of his ceiling. I just think that's like, yes, that's what that's he's going to be. That's the safe comp in my in my eyes is Trevor's yeah. story. MJ Melendez. I don't I don't know how to like, oh, Brian McCann, about that. maybe there's no there's no can like a like a not. A, I mean, Brian McCann's a borderline. I, I don't want to say borderline Hall of Famer. Brian McCann was really good. He was like, really I don't want to say M- Melendez like that, but. McCann was an underrated defender, good arm, and hit for a lot of power. I mean, is would maybe like a Zanino with less swing and miss? No, oh, Zanino is so good defensively and so bad offensively that <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I was thinking more from like just like the power perspective of like power. when he get when he gets to a ball, it goes four hundred thirty. Yeah. Are we um, sure that he's sticking behind the plate? Do you think they move him out at all? That's also fair to, to no. He will. Here. They'll 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 yeah. catch him and and get Salvi out from behind there more often than they have. I'm fine with that too. Yep. Um, Jason Castro maybe. A lot of strikeouts, a lot of power, good defender, just a very good major leaguer every year. I could see that. I feel like I need more than Castro. Jason Castro, I think you. Like, just the, I think that, that I think it's like numbers. Like, the, the thing with catchers is just like their careers can be so weird. Like for sure. Like MJ, Melendez, like if MJ Melendez has the 12 year big league career and we think, Oh, he was like Jason Castro. That's a pretty damn good career. A career 95 WRC plus right now. That's what yeah. we're talking about. I think it'll be better than that. But also you, like I generally, you weigh way more heavily, whatever the hell they do defensively than what you get offensively. That's why sure. Jeff, that's why Jeff Mathis has been in the big leagues for 16 years. And I don't even think I don't even think his way to run straight plus is above eighty. Yeah. Like yeah, just it, for layman's terms, he's like a buck seventy career hitter, and he's been in the big leagues for fifty. He was in the big leagues for fifteen or sixteen years. I'm trying to think the catchers. I just he's, there haven't been a lot of good ones lately. Right. Like yeah, and you don't want to be like he's going to be Salvi or he's going to be Yadier Molina. I mean, you don't want to you don't want to put that on his shoulders. I, like we said, if he's behind the plate, I don't know what the comp is. It's kind of hard to kind of pinpoint what he's able to do. Plus, I mean, he did absolutely turn a corner the last like season and a half or whatever, but yep. it's hard to really project that because it is such a wide range. What about like Mitch Garver last year? I'd be, Ooh. I'd love Mitch Garver. Yeah. Give me Mitch Garver from last or the, was it last year or these 2019? 2019 yeah, Mitch Garver. 19. Great. Big time. Vinny Pasquantino reminds me a lot of Billy Butler. Like I can't. Yeah. That's why we call it. Account. We call we call him Italian breakfast for a reason. <laughs> Big guy, 
not going to do a lot for you on the bases, going to hit a shit ton of doubles, good share of home runs, walks a lot, doesn't strike out much, good line drive, gap-to-gap approach. Like that is, I mean, it's left-handed Billy Butler. Do you think he's going to hit more home runs on average than Billy Butler? I wondered that too. I feel like he is. I think he's, I think he can. Yeah. I wouldn't expect a whole lot of 30 home run seasons, but no, like kind of like Gordon, where Gordon would hit 20, like 17 to 23, 19 to 25, and then just 40 doubles every year. Yeah. Something like that. Because just because I think it's not that the raw power is not there, it's the the swing is so line drive oriented that you're just not going to get many of those fly balls that just kind of carry out. Because yep. not hitting all those fly balls and carry outs. But when you do, doubles. but when you do backside, you know, backspin a ball, it has a pretty good chance to go out. Yes, correct. Do you believe in the Ace Lacy turnaround? Yes, one thousand percent. I think million percent have been way too fast to drop him off top one hundred list. They're going to regret that. Thoughts on Jonathan Bolin? Would have been maybe your best pitching prospect last year if he'd have been healthy. I think that's fair. Yep, I, th- I think that's a fair take. He's shown more. I mean, when he was hitting 97 elevated last spring, I was like, whoa, what is yep. going on? Like, what? where did this come from? I've never seen him at 97 like that. And it used to be when he would throw hard, it was like heavy sinkers at the bottom of the zone. He was elevating 97. I was like, whoa, yep. like, this is cool. When you um, when you were talking about going to Springfield, watching him hitting 97, I was like, wait, what? When did, what? When did he? He's already hitting 97, dude. And from that big a body, too, because he's a pretty yeah. big dude. Yep. Like, yeah, I, if he if he comes back, you know, by June and is healthy, I think, yeah, he's he's going to be good. I, I, I've loved John Bold since they drafted him. I loved him in Wilmington in 19. I'd be curious to see if if he was healthy. I'd be wondering if he was getting he was one of them that was getting dangled in trade talks. Could be. Uh, Sean Newkirk. Hi, Sean wants to know. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mend his question into favorite hangover movie. Not like the hangover series. Like you're hungover, random sat, Sunday afternoon, Saturday afternoon. Favorite movie to watch as you're just laying around. I, I like uh, The Replacements whenever it's on. Keanu Reeves and uh, Falco. I love me some Replacements. Also Forrest Gump, the perfect movie. So give me some slow pace, but a little bit. There's enough to keep me interested. I am Legend's a good one. I am Legend is like an mm-hmm. all-time hangover movie. I know Dodgeball. Ooh, that's Great a good one. Hangover movie. Yep. Dodgeball or School of Rock as well. Dodgeball, I would I would contend makes me laugh too hard, and most of my <laughs> hangovers are in the head. So I was like, I, I need a little bit less laughing. That's why I go replacements because I, I get a good chuckle, but it's not a full-on laugh like I get from Dodgeball. I'm trying to think of of other like. I'm trying to think. The I'm Equalizer big... has become a great Sunday afternoon nap movie. Yeah. Like for absolutely no reason. Is there like a show that you guys like to get away from movies, maybe just like on TV shows? Is there a TV show that you can just pop on and it's just binge? It's 100% bar rescue. 100%. That's the greatest hangover Saturday or Sunday morning. And you just watch 17 hours of bar rescue your mind is gone and by the time you're done with it you're in good shape my favorite thing to Shut do on Sunday afternoons in the summers is watch royals games because i can by the time you've woken up done your morning routine eaten lunch the game's coming on at one you watch the starter throw three four innings 
take a nap, wake up in the eighth game's about to wrap up, catch the end of it. <laughs> and then it's, it's the perfect amount of time for a nap. Like Sunday afternoons, baseball games are legitimately like when the Royals are bad. Some of my favorite, like afternoon hangover naps. I've become a big, I think this is maybe just me becoming a dad within the last year, but turning on golf on a Sunday, like you watch the final round and like you catch like the first 45 minutes, guys, see what's going on. And then you nap for about an hour, hour and a half and you wake up and the leader's on 16 and he's up by two strokes with like three holes to go. It's like, okay, I, I can, I can deal with this. But if I'm going to turn on just a show, just to sit and binge and like, I've already slept enough, 100% it's Archer. Oh, that's good. Our, Archer, specifically Archer season five is that, that is my go-to. I will, I'll pop that on and I can watch six or eight episodes and just, I'm good. Yeah. I like to turn on, is it season three of the walking dead when they're in the jail? I've Sounds never right. watched the walking dead. I think it's, I think what oh, was wow. two, two on the farm. Yep. And then three okay. was in the prison. Three would have been in the prison. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Great. That's a great Sunday afternoon season. I mean, we, we need to, ma- we need to mention castaway as well. Cause that's also on any given Sunday, 100% of the time. Okay, so there are some movies like Castaway I saw one time. I don't ever feel the need to watch it again. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah. yeah. It's like, okay. We all, have, I think there are, there are so many movies like that. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Eric wants to know, he said, I just started listening to your podcast. Where are you guys going? I'm, I've been enjoying this. Stay tuned. Things are trending in the right direction. Yes, Absolutely. That's all I got. Those were all the questions. Okay. So this is our, we normally do our final thoughts. Uh, we're turning this into, this is our, our best for last. Thank you, Colin Cowherd, for the name of the segment for just a moment. We are going to talk about our favorite bad Royal. We all got one. We, we all like this team has been unfortunately terrible outside of two years for a majority of our lives. And there were guys that were horrible, but we just found a way to, to actually like, like them enough to where we could appreciate the badness. Um, <laughs> Josh, we'll start with you and we'll just, we'll work our way around. I've got three and I'm going to start with the earliest. And I feel like he's going to make a lot of lists, but that's old Ken, Kenny Harvey. Give me Ken Harvey from 2001, 2005. He made an all-star game. He made an all-star game. He had a career 733 OPS which is you know, over 1,100 plate appearances in a Royals uniform. Bigger dude, so I'm naturally going to root for him. His career B war is negative 0.4. His career F war is 2.4, which is the fourth worst, amongst, fourth worst amongst field position players for the Royals between the 1995 to 2021 season. Fourth worst. Kansas City T-Bones legend, Ken yes. Harvey. And I, I, I mean – that OPS will absolutely play at a major league level. I mean, he could not stay healthy. I think, you know, he was, he was the, he had three highlight, low light, whatever you want to call them reels that kind of encompassed the 2003, 2004 season. He had the collision on Jason Grimsley. And then a month later, Matt stairs hits him with a ball. Incredible, incredible luck there. And then in 2003, he fell behind the tarp and got stuck. I mean, you think of how bad it got in the early aughts of the Royals history and you think Ken Harvey and you think about those low lights. So Ken Harvey, I always root for him and is a bigger dude as myself. And, uh, uh, you know, he had a little bit of success, but just couldn't get that, uh, couldn't get that war up. I thought Coco crisp in 2009 was going to be the second coming. 
He, uh, the Royals finished 75 and 87, 2008. They got a little something cooking, a little something cooking, uh, insert crisp on top of that lineup, plays good defense, push the Jesus left field, Jose Guillen, uh, oh. yuck, but maybe he got a little bounce back, push him into right. Don't really, you know, really, uh, dependent on him. Then you're marching out a crisp to Jesus, Mark Tian, Guillen, Mike Jacobs is also on this list for me. <laughs> I love I loved me some Mike Jacobs. Jesus Christ, Josh. You said favorite bad player, not team. I'm telling you, <laughs> You're man. You just taking everybody else's Coco players. Crisp is he was gonna be the legend, and then he we got 49 How was anyone supposed to talk about anybody new? You just gave out a whole lineup. <laughs> <laughs> because that 2009 lineup should have been way better. And they went 65 and 97. I'll never forget. Though, though I, you said Mike Jacobs, and I specifically remember him hitting one home run that went over the third wall in dead yeah. center. And I think that was the only good thing he ever did for the Royals. Yeah. Well, great. since you took two of my three guys, let's go back to Jose Guillen real quick. <laughs> he was also one of mine. Jose Guillen, in, in, in a four-year stretch – in a five-year stretch. So in, in the first three years of this five-year run, he was worth three and a half wins, two and a half, three and a half, got hurt, wasn't, was at net basically zero, and then two and a half wins the next year. Yeah. So three and a half, two and a half is six. Three and a half, two and a half is 12 F war, 12 wins in four out of a five-year stretch. Guess what Jose Guillen's, Net total F war for his career was 0.4. I just said he was worth 12 wins in a four year. Oh, uh, total uh, war, total uh, war like for his career 13.2. <laughs> 10. Three. <laughs> <laughs> 0.4 was a lot closer. <laughs> yes. Jose Guillen was so bad every other yeah. year of his career. Jose Guillen played from 97 to 2010. He played for 13 years yeah. and was worth three wins. Can I throw one more on top of this? Fire? No. So another guy <laughs> I had was also Mike Jacobs. I was pretty sure Mike Jacobs coming off mm-hmm. of that 32 home run season with, with uh, Florida was yep. going to be like the next thing in Kansas city. He was awful. Um, 20% worse than league average. I mean, just totally worthless over there at first base. That sucked. That whole thing sucked. And that but was right the around greatest... the time that Stop, Billy hang Butler. On. You got to give out. But a Billy whole Butler lineup. and Gordon no, you're were done. coming up. There you're was plenty off. of hope. I wanted hope. That's why I was so hooked on to these dudes. So, anyway, the best bad baseball player ever, Dayton Moore traded for twice. He traded for him <laughs> twice. Uh... Betten Court. The worst good player, best bad player in Royals history. Unieski Betancourt did two tours with the Kansas City Royals and was totally freaking worthless in all of them. Unieski Betancourt played nine major league seasons and accumulated a grand total. Anybody want to take a guess how many war? How many negative wins? negative two point oh, five? Yeah. Negative one point one. Yep. Nine big league seasons. And essentially what the math tells you is. He would have been better off to the teams he played for by not playing. Yeah, Unieski Betancourt was my guy as well. Um, the, the two players that, that that were mine, and I I went I th- thought of a third one. I didn't realize that he that Scott Pitsednik actually hit like three ten for the Royals before they traded yeah. him at the deadline. Um, but Willie Bloomquist, who was there, he was already the other side of thirty when the Royals signed him, and he was 
whatever. And he played like one full season ish. And then he got traded in 2011. And then Unieski Betancourt, the three, the commonality between all of those three for me is I watched all of those guys at some point in my childhood in AAA Tacoma in the Mariners organization. Uh, when my family and I lived out at Fort Lewis, Washington, when I was a kid, I remember I, I'm old. I, I remember when uh, Mariners fans for a period of time thought that uh, the future middle infield for the Mariners was going to be Unieski, Betancourt, and Jorge Lopez, or uh, not Jorge, Jose Lopez. Mm-hmm. And then Betancourt comes to Kansas City, and I'm like, oh, I remember him, but I was too young and dumb to remember that he sucked. And <laughs> I was like, this dude is just—he he was awful. Yeah, there's been a lot of bad baseball players in Kansas City. Is Keel- like, Doug Keel- McDougal one of the best? I liked McDougal. Yeah. Keel- I say, Keel- I say Doug, Mike, Mike McDougal. Mike McDougal. Yeah, Mike <laughs> McDougal. You're, you, I think you mix up Doug, Doug, Mike McDougal and Doug Mankavich. Oh, I don't even play for the Royals. Oh, Dougie McCavich. Dougie me. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. But uh, uh, Vinny, Keel- what was Vinny's name? Vinny, um, my cousin Vinny, um, the oh. pitcher. Oh, uh, I don't know. I don't know. He gave up like 17. Oh, Vin, Vin, Mazzaro, Vin Mazzaro. Vin Mazzaro. <laughs> oh, my God. He was horrible. Brian uh, Bannister. I love him now, but God, yeah. he was awful. Kyle Davies. Kyle Davies. And, and that like was the guy I was thinking of. And years and years and years. Yeah. Oh, um, Kila Kayahue. Kayahue. Yeah. That, that's one I'll never, I'll just never get over him being bad. <laughs> I was so sure he was going to be good. Speaking of, Brett Phillips is a guy for me. I think he was coming up. He was the epitome of like a can't miss guy. Top 100 fun profile, solid MLB debut in 2017. But Jesus, I don't. I don't know if you think that he got a fair shake in Kansas City or whatever. But I was really rooting for him. But does he have one of the most iconic moments in World Series history in Absolutely. Tampa last year? Absolutely. I, I never still love him he, so much. He. I'm pretty sure he actually blacked out running around in center field yep. after that happened. He should have. That's some that's some dream stuff. Could you guys want to guess his WRC plus as a royal? Sixty-seven. Yeah, I'll say I'll say like six. I'll go sixty-nine just to be funny. Fifty. Ooh. Fifty. Pain. Two hundred thirty-six plate appearances, two seasons. But hey, the Royals. WRC, but. The Royals didn't do horrible in that trade. Jorge Lopez almost threw a perfect game. He did that one time. Yep. His career was his career. He was, he was awful too, but God, he almost threw a perfect game one time. Guys, he had the best stuff in the system. Okay. The Royals like insistence on trading for big league ready players. They would have been better off trading Mike Moustakis for literally any teenager in the Dominican for the Brewers. Yep. <laughs> literally oh, any, oh, of oh, oh. A, just one yeah. random player off the DSL roster. Would have been a better flyer than those two. Let me let me let me trigger you all for for just a second. Don't do this, Trevor Trevor Cahill, Brandon Mauer. Don't do this. Don't do that. <laughs> we don't need that hate. We don't need that. We don't need that put out. We already talked about Jose Guillen. We don't need that trade hate in this. Luckily, in this the Royals didn't trade anybody who turned out to be worth a crap. Yeah, you guys, you guys, you guys were pretty pumped about the guys that, that they gave up and. It's not like they gave up Fernando Tatis for James Shields. That is true. That is true. That would have been a big-time egg on our face. That's going to be one of the five worst trades in big league history. When it's it's got to be more than that, right? Maybe the Babe Ruth only outdoes that. Babe Jesus. Ruth, Tatis Jr. I'm trying to think of – I'm drawing a huge blank. Um, 
I can't even think of anything oh, off the top of my head. That was bad. That was not good. The Brewers traded back-to-back ALCS MVPs for one year of stanky granky. <laughs> <laughs> sure did. Thank you, Zach Greenkey. So, anyway, that's all I got for tonight. Yeah, I think <laughs> that's, that's all. It. <laughs> Hang on. Sorry, coughing fit. Don't forget the Royals are paying your ticket to the Negro Leagues Museum for the month of February. Yes. So, well, it's still February. Go to the Negro Leagues Museum. It is for free. It is for the price of on the house. Uh, the crown is taking care of your bill, however you want to put it. Go down to the Negro Leagues Museum. Spend that $10 at the Jazz Museum instead. Go down there. Have a great time. The Royals are footing the bill. So, All right. Well, hey, for, for those of you that, that found our podcast when we moved over here uh, over you know two and a half years ago, like Alex said, thank you for, for listening to us ramble for so long. And uh, thank you so much. We will be back in a couple of weeks on a new platform. Be on the lookout for that. Stay locked on to uh, at Royals Farm on Twitter. WorldsFarmReport.com. College Bill, as I mentioned earlier, college baseball is starting this week. Draft stuff is right around the corner. We'll start really talking that here soon. And we will talk to you all later.